Welcome to your Right to Speak discussion on social justice and advocacy. This is episode 72, and I'm your host, Salvatore. On today's episode, we'll be talking with Shanice, who is the CEO of Project Outsiders, and Vivian, who is also the editor of CYC Podcast, Your Right to Speak Podcast, and Project Outsiders Podcast. We will be talking with them about uh, workers, both good and bad, and everything in between. This episode was really inspired by an episode from Project Outsiders, where Vivian was the guest. And uh, it was an episode I was listening to a few weeks ago. And I remember having the episode force me to self-reflect, as well as vent to Shanice, because I called her right away. <laughs> I'm truly, truly looking forward to having you both on the show today and see where this journey takes us. Would you all like to introduce yourselves? So I'm Vivian Petruno. I am 24 years old. I grew up in the child welfare system in and out since I've been an infant, previously a crown ward. Now I am just, you know, an advocate. I have, as you know, Salvador said, I have a role on Project Outsiders and CYC and Raising Youth. But I think for me, the reason why I'm so impacted and, and just want to do more within child welfare is because I really get a sense of that community. And so that's initially the reason I reached out to Shanice about Project Outsiders. That's me. Yeah, Vivian is amazing. Just been incredible to work with. But hi, everybody. My name is Shanice McKenna. She, her pronouns. I am 23 years old and I'm the founder of Project Outsiders. And I've been in the foster care system since I was approximately like 14 years old and aged out from the welfare system as well at 18. And since then, I've been involved in a lot of different kind of advocacy types of spheres. And I've been pursuing education at McMaster University uh, for psychology. I wanted to start this organization because Right now, I just saw a lot of gaps and inconsistency in, in regards to communication within the welfare system. And it started to get really exhausting repeating our stories so many times. And I thought that it's about time that we do something about it and take over. And here we are. Well, welcome both. I, I mean, in CYC fashion, we're just going to dive into the first question and see where this journey takes us. I'm so, so excited about this. Let's start off with generally, would you two be able to tell me what your past experience has been with workers? Mm. For me, I have had a few workers. When I was younger, I think I had like the best worker. I think I was like five, six. Her name was Debbie Porter. When I was living with my parents, I didn't, I didn't really feel like I could express myself from a very early age. I felt like that because my mom doesn't speak English and my dad was just a little vacant. But I remember just always being so excited for my worker to come. And when you're so little and you have that camaraderie, when you have that, that person that's bringing you like those little toys and those little treats and like actually asks about your day and wants to engage with you, it, it feels really good. And so I think she was my best worker because I felt understood, I felt cared for. And at that young age, it still carries on. I still feel that. You know, that's, that's not to say I didn't have like negative experiences with workers. I think my last worker within care, as I was aging out, you know, she didn't really ask about post-secondary. I was under the impression that she didn't think that maybe I was, you know, good enough for post-secondary 
quote unquote good enough or you know that i even deserved to live independently because the first instinct that you know my worker wanted was to send me into a youth shelter so i think like it's not just about actions or words it's about the combination of both coming in together and just making sure a young person feels understood so i think those were probably my most potent memories i can think of i also had this really cool worker her name was kim i think it was kim don again she was incredible and we would just honestly like shoot the shit again she made me feel understood she made me feel validated we laughed she treated me like i was an adult she gave me that that sense of autonomy that i needed she was a supporter of mine because i remember you know when i was having difficulty in school and when there were other kids that had a laptop she would actually like write a proposal and try to get me a laptop and she did and you know when things weren't going well in my foster home she advocated for a bike for me so i can get out more and so i think having workers that are very present and that want to understand you that take the time to understand you is super important and so that's been my experience for me there's a couple of things one it definitely varied between workers there were some workers that i had the ability to at least begin the journey of trust for them and others that quite frankly thought that they knew me by just reading my file um but the thing that i recognized consistently between the majority of the workers and it's no fault of their own but it was their lack of participation in, in my life and this kind of goes for a lot of kids in care it's just the way it's set up when you have a worker that has like 40 plus kids on their caseload let's say 30 plus kids on their caseload it's hard to give every single person an attention especially since i wasn't constantly in demand for it i wasn't always in a crisis i didn't get that attention and i didn't really get my my needs met in a timely fashion and so it became difficult because the only time i really got a chance to connect or start to connect with my workers was either during our planned cares or certain time frames of meetings that we had to book ahead of time or in times of a crisis and that sucks because um as a person who has needs who needs who's tried to develop and overcome certain kind of traumas and build consistency it's hard to do when your interaction with the person who has the ability to get you access to resources and to certain requirements for your needs you only really get to engage with them over like a certain amount of time and most of the time they're on vacation because they have to go to mental health and then at the same time it's just a cycle it was a toxic cycle that quite frankly was a factor in my inability to form relationships and inability to actually build trust and this is a common thing for a lot of kids in care i had this conversation yesterday with the same thing with her worker and then also um a person on our uh mental health committee for OACS said the same thing as having the same issues with her worker as well it's because of the way that things are set up but ultimately i can say i could always notice those who had the right intentions and viewed me in a compassionate lens they particularly focused more so on my needs and tried not to analyze me based on what they perceived to know about me I'll start with that and I I know that you want us to talk, <laughs> talk for a while but I I want to also kind of like 
make time and give time and allow us to have that conversation. But there's a lot of which I can say to that. There's a few themes that I've heard from you both, you know, and it's important to have a worker who shows care, is seeing you as an individual and allows for um, trust to be developed and a, an authentic relationship to be developed. I will say, you know, as a worker myself, I right now have a caseload of 15 youth. I'm supposed to have up to 20, 20 to 21. It is difficult, I'll be honest. It's very difficult sometimes to develop some authentic relationships with you and to have that space where they can trust me. I try to give as much time as I can. Sometimes I've met with youth for two hours, which is not always doable because I have a whole bunch more, you know, to support. But the caseload piece is difficult, yes. It's essentially like you have 15 of your own kids that you're trying to make time for and show that you're invested in each of them. People often, not often, every single time, everyone has, you know, different needs and different requirements for each individual. So that's another difficult part of it. And I don't think I've ever met a true bad worker. I think, you know, there are workers that have been overworked and desensitized and, you know, they just personally didn't have the time to get to know me or maybe sometimes maybe the care to get to know me because of the things that they were dealing with. But I don't really take that in a personal way. I just think like, what now can we do better with? Unless I was maybe a threat, unless I was a threat to myself or to others, I don't think there was a need for a worker to step in because there's always been this sort of crisis perception of like, oh, we need to do something when it's a little bit too late. Because again, there's so many people being overworked that are social workers and, and youth care workers. Mm -hmm. I definitely agree with that. And for me, I, there's two major things that comes to mind. I remember a while back I was speaking to like a, a group of workers through like the OCL office of the children's lawyer. And I was telling them, I got emotional because we were having like the conversation about burnout, right? It's such like a real thing, especially during COVID, there was so much of a high demand and everybody just didn't know what to do. And I remember I was just in a phase where I was transitioning out of like a really, really difficult spot in my life. And one of the biggest things that I learned and realized from those moments is that First of all, how incredibly important it is for a worker or at least a supporter of a youth who is dealing with a lot of trauma to at least be the one to try and take some of that work off of their plates, take away some of that energy that they're facing so they can continue to survive and live in their everyday life. That's pretty much the goal, the intention of like a worker is to try and alleviate some of that stress by taking it on for them and trying to use their own tools that in which they've been trained to do to learn how to use that effectively, take that energy and use it in a healthy manner. And essentially, when you're doing that over and over again for about 20 different youth, that's for one person is a lot. You are taking on all of their energy. You're trying to consume and support and heal so many people at once. It hurts. It's tiring. And that's where we have some compassion for these workers. I 100% agree. But at the same time, I come at it from a lens from a youth where I've also had some workers who I believe had the right intentions, but took their training or 
didn't listen to me first. I'm going to use it in my, my lens. There was one worker who looked at the file, looked at my situation, and then looked at me, right? And made an assumption and went and told me that assumption about that they felt to me. And it made me feel as if like I was the issue. I was the problem of my environment, my circumstances, and it broke me. And not only that, but she acted accordingly. She put me, I had like this one rule where like I did not want to be put into a group home because I just felt like it didn't suit me. She did that. She was manipulative and deliberately avoided just did not tell me where I was moving until like I ended up there and she went away on vacation. So there's nothing in which I could do about it. And I found out about that. What I realized where I was and what she had done. I had a meltdown. I was livid. And like, there are workers like that that exist, right? And so it's, it's hard to be able to formulate trust and bonds with the good workers when there are some workers that don't go about things correctly and they don't prioritize what I want and what I need. And so it's, it becomes like a huge mess of a situation where like you want to have compassion for workers for how much work they, they have. And you also want to blame the system for being so disorganized and overwhelming everybody involved. And then also still have compassion for the youth who have to deal with this and have to deal with the workers who are burned out because of the, it's just an overall mess. And it's like, how do we fix this? How do we go about addressing this? What needs to change that has not been done or thought about before? You know? I mean, I will be honest. I was in school with some people that I questioned why we were in school together. <laughs> I remember one of my former classmates called youth delinquents and I'm like, what is going on here? It starts there for me. I think working in social services, you don't get paid that much. I know some youth, <laughs> I mean, I've gotten the comment, you get paid, you know, 80, 90 a year and whatnot. But starting off in the fields, some of social workers or particularly child and youth care workers are getting paid minimum wage right? And the majority of them is you're not in it for the money. So I used to get so frustrated with my former classmates that would use that type of language. It's the training piece because I have been able to recognize when I'm starting to get burned out and I need to take a step back and I need to tell everyone to leave me alone right now. I'm canceling all my meetings and I need to take myself. But I practiced that and, you know, I needed a point to get to that place. I also don't read client files, at least when I was at the group home. At the shelter, it's a little bit different because there's some, so we have like our intake interview. There's some questions in there that I need to know as a case manager, about what goals they're working on or should be working on. So for example, we'll ask like, have you filed taxes within 12 months. I need mm. to know that information because then in the first meeting, I can make sure that it's true of what has been said on that interview. And if you haven't filed them, then we need to get you that support because there's a good chance you're going to get money back from the government, right? Okay. So it's the only reason why I read files right now at the shelter. But when I was at the group home, never. I never read anyone's file until after I met the youth. Mm. 
Do a lot of workers tend to do that in your experience? Have you noticed that or are you like the anomaly of that? I think I've worked at agencies that are anomalies. I have worked at a very positive group home, Airborne House, where it's different from the stories that I've heard of other group homes. Like I, and I've told you this before, Shanice, like I've I've kind of worked in this positive bubble um, because like Airborne, we don't lock up food. Like there, there's just things, we hug our youth, we tell our youth that we love them. You know, it's a very different type of environment. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the, I think all the workers there have never read a youth's file first. We'll discuss it as a team if a youth is intaking with us um, to see if they're a right fit and take into consideration how it's gonna impact other youth in the house. Mm-hmm. But we, I've never at the first time sat down and read their cars package at all. In that setting with this particular group home, you must have noticed a difference with the youth then as well. Like the fact that you were engaging in physical affection, which like every young person needs, that that must have been such, not necessarily a relief, just so amazing for them. So I'm wondering like in, in comparison to other places, like did you notice the youth were more receptive and really gravitated towards you guys? It depended on the youth, to be honest. I mean, there are some mental health challenges that have kind of stopped some of that. But I would Mm -hmm. say for the majority, yeah. I remember Mm -hmm. one of the youth telling me over like a family, Mm -hmm. right? And I was like, oh, (laughs) that's exactly how I want you to feel while you're living here. You know, because my perspective is I'm working in your house. You're not living in my workplace. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. (laughs) There's a couple of things that I wanted to talk about or mention to you or just bring up that we've talked about before, Salvatore. Two things. One is like, this is legitimately after that he listened to our episode, Viv, and he calls me. There's a couple of things that we talked about. And one is like, okay, there's so many issues just with when it comes to things like files and like how it's written, our files follow us a long time well after we age out of care. And it's kind of like, it's so hard when you're in a group home. And this happened to me where I personally was a a victim of like manipulation and like gaslighting where I was it was a stupid situation. Sorry. But um, I was sitting at the kitchen table in my group home and I was just known as this person who would always just be doing homework. On a particular day, there was a youth who I had tension with. It was his day to cook and I still needed to get my homework done. And I've always had an issue of where I was allowed to do my homework in the house. I got into trouble for every room, doing it in the kitchen, in the living room, in the office, even in my own room. I would get into like a battle with the staff who's trying to turn off my lights and tell me to go to bed. I'm like, no, I have assignments I need to do. There was this one day where they were telling me to move. And I obviously, because at that point you get fed up of like just the crap is that, listen, I've had this conversation with you guys so many times in the past. Quite frankly, there's no place in this house where I'm allowed to do my homework. So I'm going to do it this way. If you guys need space, I'll give you all the space in which you need. 
Okay, I will remove the majority of like my books and just keep on the table what I need. But and when dinner is done, I'll remove my stuff. And once the table is cleared and like the kitchen is cleaned up, I will go back to doing my homework. And she was like, no, you need to leave. It was a power struggle and it couldn't be any more obvious. And at that point, I got triggered. I'm like, okay, she told me that if I don't leave, she's going to be taking the computer and stuff away from me. And I'm like, huh? And, um, and then she started to approach me and essentially tried to start to approach me and I started to get triggered and I put my computer down. I'm like, okay, I, I just went silent. I didn't even say anything because I knew that she was going to try to be physical with me. And that moment is just like, I don't know what to do. And so she came over and she took the computer out from my hands and the computer went flying and we started to yell and scream at each other. And um, she went and told the staff and the supervisors that I picked up the computer and I hit her with it. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? And that was written in my file. And that is dangerous. That is dangerous for youth for to have at least these people who you are sometimes in conflict with be the ones in charge of determining who you are, what your identity is and how that's going to follow you for the rest of your life. There's no system in place that allows for um, no biases when it comes to these kind of arrangements and engagements with in, in regards to conflict with youth in group homes, sometimes in shelters inside. And I, I know that Salvatore has feedback in regards to that, but that was one thing that just always triggered me like what i'll say this to be honest it's very easy to get into power struggles i have one or twice in my career which is pretty good i think have gotten into a power struggle without even knowing <laughs> i'm getting into a power struggle i remember it was a youth and they wanted their passport and all I was asking was, where are you going? Why do you need your passport? It's your right to have it, but I need you to be safe. It's my responsibility to make sure you're safe. And it just blew up into this power struggle. Grand scheme of things, you don't want to take my advice. Unfortunately, then you got to do you, right? So it is very easy to get into power struggles. Second, Girl, you were doing your homework. I mean, you could have done it on the roof. I would have been happy. <laughs> like, yeah. No, seriously, though, that's the initial thing I thought. I was like, you're punishing someone for trying to be better, like bettering themselves, getting good grades. That, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That was my initial thought. Salvatore, in terms of resources that you guys have like let's say you know someone is having an off day as a worker because they're just overwhelmed like do you guys have those resources like for staff or youth for, specifically for staff like to talk to anyone i mean it depends on the agency you work at right if it's a smaller agency who you may not have benefits or have good benefits with you may not have that uh, you may just have to go to, let's say, your supervisor or fellow co-workers. Um, and depending if you get along with them or not, that could be a challenge. Bigger agencies tend to have better like health benefits. So there often is times where a worker can see a therapist themselves and kind of work through what they're going through, right? But it's not regularly like sort of mandated or anything for all. Okay, that's interesting. And like Shanice, in your experience, like just going through the system, did you have support with 
therapy or um, like counseling and all of that kind of stuff? Counseling is hard because for a number of reasons, for one, I did have access to a counselor while in care. Out of care, it became a different story. I mainly got actually the best supports I've ever gotten in my life through my university. Um, but before that, it was really hard for me to actually form bonds, healthy bonds with like my counselors. It, it was it was hard. I, I just didn't find the right counselor while in care. And I think that was like the first issue is that I felt like I had to just settle and it just never worked out that way. And so I don't know how to, I'm not sure if that answers the question, but. That, that actually answers it perfectly. Just cause like a young person that comes from the child welfare system can't really form bonds supernaturally in, in comparison to like a, another person that lives with their parents. And so you're telling them to go to a counselor. You're telling them to try to make a bond instantaneously. And sometimes it just doesn't work. So like, why not have multiple resources where, okay, you can try this one or this one or this one to make sure it's a good fit. That should be a possibility. So that's, that's what I kind of practice. With any of the youth I've worked with, I've said, okay, let's try this counselor. You're not getting along with them. You don't have a important relationship. No problem. We'll find you another one. There is a whole slew of them. I just got to Google or call my contacts and we'll get you one, right? I think a lot of workers kind of get like tunnel vision of like this youth has mental health and we got to get them a therapist right away so we can, you know, fix them and all that stuff, right? But it's really taking a step back and saying, let's meet the youth where they're at. If they're not, you know, forming a relationship with their counselor. It's not a good fit. So we'll find them another fit. And I've often told you that about me. You don't like me. You're not going to hurt my feelings. You come first and I'll find you a worker that you feel you'll better connect with. It was, I think it was this week, we had an, a new youth move in. They thought that they weren't gonna get along with me because I'm white. They said, I was really hoping for a black case manager. I said, cool. I'm like, well, be honest with me. If you at any point get uncomfortable with me, we'll find you another fit. I mean, there is certain constraints because the team is only so big, but not about me. At the end of the day, it's about finding, the philosophy I take is finding the youth the right supports they need yeah. to be successful. Absolutely. I wish we had a worker like you when, when you know, we were in care because that would be great. Yeah, because, you know, just like Shanice is saying, I had the same experience. You go to, you go to one counselor and... That's basically it. If you don't like them, then no one else is going to help you look for another counselor. So I find that really, really interesting. And, you know, your paradigm and perspective on it is a lot different than other people's perspectives that, you know, I've mm -hmm. come encounter with in the child welfare system that are workers. So that's, I appreciate that on your end. That's, that's crazy because I legitimately just had this conversation with Gabe yesterday and he said the exact same thing which you are saying in regards to being able to form a relationship with your counselor.